First, are you, are you some Anoshana? Prabhupada said, I may be, I may not be, but what you're really asking is, what is my qualification for doing what I'm doing, teaching? And he said, I can tell you this, my qualification is I strictly follow my guru. That is my qualification. That's what I am. I'm a servant of my guru, that's all. Of course, guru means the best servant in Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Who's, who's a good servant? Can teach about service. Right? So, there may be some adarshan, I'm not. In fact, I'm not. means bhakti. Bhakti means partiality. Impartiality is the plane of knowledge. And bhakti is the plane of kind of super partiality. Partiality towards Bhagawan. It includes within it impartiality, materially speaking. But more than that, and the more than that is this Vaikuntha. There everyone is loving Narayan. And there are different compartments in Vaikuntha. There's Ram Loka, and this Loka and that Loka. Devotees of Ram, devotees of Narayan. There's the Krishna Loka, as I said. Devotees of Krishna. They all have a bias. Hanuman likes Ram. If Krishna calls him, say, yeah, I'll be there in a minute. But if Ram calls him, he'll be there without, without hesitation. So... The unity there, the oneness, is that everyone loves God unlimitedly, no selfishness. And the variety is that it manifests in different ways. So mm-hmm. Make for unity and diversity at the same time. So the, in Bhagavad school, then our emphasis is more on partiality. Haridas Thakur, we were talking about Haridas. Some similarities to Prahlad are found in Haridas. So there's a connection made between Haridas and Prahlad in Gaurlila. And one time in Puri... Sanatana Goswami came there and he had been in the jungle, passing through the jungle, and he had drunk some water that was not clean and he ended up with an internal condition that caused open sores to appear on his body. So when he came into Jagannath Puri to the darshan of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, we thought, oh, that's very unbecoming, the situation of my body. Previously, Chaitanya Dev embraced me. He might embrace me out of his just affection. He's so affectionate to his devotees. And this would be... This would be offense on my part. That's, my body is so offensive. So Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, of course, came, saw him, grabbed him and embraced him. And all the sores went away and so forth. And Haridas was there because when Sanatana would come to Puri, he would stay with Haridas. They were outcasts, but they were the leaders of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's mission. So Mahaprabhu said, I have embraced him, more or less he said, because I am Samadarshina, as I see everyone equally. And this is fundamental to a basic spiritual life. If I had thought, oh, he's in this condition, therefore I won't touch him, but I'll touch him. You know, the Gani sees gold and earth as the same. No difference. Yellow earth, brown earth. We see gold and we go, oh, this is valuable. I'm going to take the earth over there. Material consciousness. So the, the Gani, the basic spiritual level, sees it all equal. So he said, so I, uh, because I'm a sannyasi, Ostensibly, sannyasi means, means a gani. It means a renunciate. It stands for renunciation. It doesn't stand necessarily for love, but for renunciation. So it's, uh, he was appearing as a sannyasi. So he's renounced. Because I'm a sannyasi, I embraced him because uh, I see equally. Harida said, I don't accept that answer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you embraced him for a different reason. You don't see equally. I don't accept it. You're not samadarshina. You don't see. You have partiality towards your devotees. And that's why you embraced him. Why don't you admit it? Why are you trying to hide from us and fool us like this? You're not a jnani. You are bhakatovatsal, partial to your devotees. And this, rather than it be a dosha, a fault, is a bhushana, ornament. In Vedanta Sutra, this question is brought up. 
that there's injustice in the world, so God must be unjust. The answer is given no, he's equal to everyone. The reason that there's injustice is because of karma. But then, among other things, the argument is brought up, well, then, but we see that he's partial to his devotees, so, gotcha. He actually does have partiality. The sutra says, that's another thing. In one sense, God's equality or equal dealing with everyone is that he deals equally with everyone in terms of how they deal with him. This is the difference between Gyan and Bhakti in one sense. If they deal with me in this way, then I deal with them in that way. That's equal dealing. So everyone has the opportunity to get his embrace, but not if they don't deal with him in, in a way that would elicit such an embrace. If they deal with him another way, they're going to see another side of him. So this is the ornament of Bhagavan, that he's affectionate to his devotees, even conquered by their love. It's not a shortcoming on his part. You have to understand, the point being, to understand the nature of that love. And this is something that the Kumaras didn't have any experience of. We say sometimes with relation to bhakti, what? That the neophyte lacks discrimination. The intermediate devotee is characterized by discrimination. And the most advanced devotee is characterized by lack of discrimination. For the highest devotee, the lack of discrimination is an ornament. For the lowest devotee, it's, it's really a, a fault. And the discrimination that comes between on the part of the intermediate takes one, him away from improper lack of disc- discrimination, which is, as I say, the better part of valor, so it has value, to a healthy lack of discrimination. Sarvabhuteshoyapashed. The Mahabhagavata is described in Bhagavatam. He sees everything in Krishna, Krishna in everything. So we hear some that he has, this sounds like impartiality, equal vision. Yeah, that's there to some extent. That's true. But it doesn't tell the whole story. He's fueled by bhava. And there are so many instances of great devotees. If they see someone who doesn't love their beloved, then how did Hanuman express himself? Did Hanuman say, well, you know, from the broadest picture, it could be seen that Ravan is also, you know, a devotee, <laughs> kind of. I mean, he's, you know, I mean, he was, he, he, he wanted to go to heaven, right? <laughs> he built a staircase out of gold to go to heaven. So, yeah, I guess he's interested in God, you know. So, I don't think we should be fighting with him. Did Hanuman act like that? He chased after Ravana. And, 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 and was... <laughs> Just like uh, anger personified, leaping across the whole ocean from Cape Comoran to, to Sri Lanka, and uh, set Lanka, the camp of Ravan, on fire with his tail. It was a monkey, Hanuman. Set it on fire, and he's, 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 he's fueled by this. He wasn't just, yes, let's have the broadest vision. So, <laughs> they do have the broadest vision, that's a fact. They see everything is Krishna's will behind everything. That's a fact. So, in one sense, they see there's no problem from that point of view. No problem to solve. Everything's moving according to the will of God. And they're connected with the desire of Bhagavan for rasa. So they see everything from that root. The whole existence as it manifests from that root. So they see no problem. But that doesn't mean that they don't have this kind of partiality and this kind of bias for Bhagavan coming from their bhava. They do. They're possessed of that. Same Hanuman, like I said, there's a story how Krishna wanted to teach his carrier, Garuda. Garuda is the carrier of Vishnu, of Vishnu and Krishna in Dwaraka. He's the son of Vinayaka, means humble. 
You see how all these names they have, they think, well, his name is humble and he is humble. It sounds like you're kind of making that up, you know, and it's just a story. It's both. It is a story and it's true at the same time. And it's teaching us humility is the point. So Guru is the carrier of Vishnu. He's humble. So he, Krishna told Ruda, hey, can you go to go and get uh, Hanuman? Bring him over here. I got some service for him. So Guru just, just flies off to Hanuman. Krishna wants some service. He says, okay, well, all right, I'll be there. He says, well, I'm here. I'm here to take you there. Says, yeah, yeah, just tell him I'll be there in a minute. So Guru goes back and says, what kind of devotee did you send me to see this Hanuman? I told him that you wanted some service. He said, uh, you know, I'll be there in a minute and he's not here. And uh, you're telling me he's a great devotee and you wanted me to meet him? And Krishna said, oh yeah, well, to do this. Go back there, fly back there and tell him that Ram wants to see him. Ram is in Dwarka, wants to see him. So Garuda goes flying back and says, Ram is in Dwarka, he wants to see you. So Hanuman says, okay, I'll be there in a minute. So Garuda's bewildered, he starts flying back. And then what does he see? He sees Hanuman coming back the other way. Ram! He had leaped all the way to Dwarka, is the idea, rather than taking the carrier, the bird carrier, which would you think you'd go faster by bird than by legs, but Hanuman leaped the whole distance. Krishna manifested at Ram, he rendered some service, and was flying back, jumping back the other way, chanting Ram. <laughs> so, it's kind of spiritual bias. It's what fuels the whole spiritual world, makes for the variety and so forth. So this is a, an important point to consider. When we see that bhava in someone, guru bhava, it can be ugly when it's, when it's not really an appropriate sentiment that just finds fault in others, but when it rises to the occasion of glorifying the guru or, or Krishna in light of some opposition or something like this, this is then charming, this is endearing. So... The whole of Vaikuntha is fueled by this kind of bias. Here come these Kumars, and they have no, no bias. They're like intermediate bhaktas in their spirituality, in one sense. Of course, they, they're lacking somewhat in bhakti, but they have no discrimination. Whereas the intermediate devotee is, as I said, characterized by discrimination. He's always making discrimination. What kirtan to enter, what kirtan not to enter, for example. So, and that, done properly, that calls his progress where I will associate, and everyone's devotee, yeah, but I may not benefit from every sect of devotees. Some may be misbehaving. I may not benefit from that. So he considers all these things. So anyway, the, so there's a, there's a difference. The equal vision of the devotee is something like this. He sees Bhagwan in everyone, so he sees everyone and everything as a service opportunity. The equal vision of the jnanis, he sees everyone equal, has nothing to do. Everything's equal, there's no difference. There's no difference. Equal. There's no difference between you and me. So, we're one. Well, who's going to serve who? <laughs> so, this vision, some of that sounds great, but it's, it's not, it has, fosters no love. You see, <laughs> Bhakti fosters love. So, the equal vision of the devotees, he sees, sees Bhagwan in everyone, in everything, and everything in Bhagwan. So, he sees every opportunity. He says no problems, only as service opportunities. And preoccupied with what might seem like an ordinary life compared to the jnani who's sitting quietly and everything equal. I don't take any money. And devotees collecting so much money and spending, looking like an ordinary materialistic person and so forth. This is a big difference in vision. So these Kumaras, they were being brought to Vaikunda for a number of reasons, as we're hearing. 
and one of which was for their own benefit, because they were sincere and pure, and they were progressing. As I said, they would see Vishnu in their hearts sometimes. They had some desire to see him personally. So Vishnu brought them to the gates of Vaikuntha, but they were not qualified to get in. As we said earlier, what? First Bhagwan will come in Asakti and give darshan, in Bhav, give darshan, outside. First you see him in the heart, then he'll actually appear outside, like, he's, like you're sitting in front of me, like he did to Narada, spoke to him, heard him outside, not just inside. Vishwana Chakvati Thakur says, in a higher stage than once, Mahaprabhu will give his darshan to all his associates, to the spiritual practitioner. He will appear, give him a darshan, and then the devotee will pass out, and then it will be gone when he wakes up. And then he will be driven. The final distance by that, I cannot live without that. I cannot live without that. So Kumars were brought to the gate of Bhakti and they got the darshan of Narayan. They wanted the darshan of Narayan. They got it. He came. There was a fracas at the gate. The great keepers didn't let them in. And so they said, what the heck? Who are you? Who are you? We're the Kumars. We go anywhere. You people must be living in the realm of friends and enemies. I like this one. I don't like that one. This is good. This is bad. This is the world of the mind we talked about earlier. So they were outside of that world of the mind in a general sense. And so they saw everything equal. And they saw the people not letting us in. So they're thinking that we'll let some in, we won't let others in. So they're discriminating. They're living in, in, in material consciousness. And here we are, the kind of people who can purify them. So they cursed them. Now, curse is another thing. We don't find devotees cursing, cursing too much. Hmm? <laughs> Narada did. Nard gave a curse. But he expressed no anger in the curse. And his curse of the Nalakubar, Manigiva, the sons of Kuber, it turned, in, it turned into great fortune for them. He cursed them, and they got darshan of Krishna, and his Damodar Lila. And the Kumaras, they're cursing, what? In a different way. And they became angry. So, Gyanmarg, one can become angry. These Gyanis are well known for it. They become very angry. They like Shiva. He can get angry. It means what? Because the, the heart is being suppressed in Gyanmarg. It's being suppressed. And it's going to come out somehow or other. So it's, if it's suppressed, it's frustrated. Frustration leads to outbursts of anger. So they curse the gatekeepers. And so this is a big commotion at the gates of Vaikuntha. So Narayan comes out from his chambers. And there he goes. And he walks there. Garudas, his carrier right with him, but he doesn't hop on Garuda, he walks. And he's decorated with a saffron dhoti and, and then a beautiful belt around that and a garland and there are bees humming. And this dhoti is thinking, I'm so fortunate, I own the hips of Narayan, let's see. <laughs> and the belt buckle is thinking, oh, I'm superior to you. I shine out and wrap him around, or have him around the waist. And the garland is thinking, I'm, I, my position is better than yours. They're not envious or jealous or anything, but they're just, they're just thinking, everyone's thinking their position is best. My love for Narayan is best for me. And you think yours is best, that's fine. Everyone's fully satisfied, it means. <laughs> fully satisfied in their particular love, their service. So the garland is a particular kind of devotee manifesting as the garland of Narayan. And the belt, and the dhoti, and the bees, and they are humming, hmm. 
they're singing and they think, we got it best, for sure. <laughs> they're singing, they're thinking that... Anyway, they're all thinking like this. This is what's like a wonderful... Everything's alive there, everything conscious. The clothes aren't dead, they're fully conscious and alive. And in love with Narayan. And the bees, the garland, the buckle, the belt, so forth. So here comes Narayan, and he's got tulsi leaves and sandalwood paste. You take the paste of the sandal, put the tulsi leaf, paste it on his foot. And he's decorated like this with tulsi and walking, not flying on Garuda. And he's got a lot of things on his mind now. He's got to satisfy Lakshmi, but not at the cost of the bhava of Vaikuntha and him appearing to be henpecked. And he's got to chastise the guards, although what they did was right. And he's got to, he's got to, he's got to greet the guests. In Hinduism, it's considered the guest is like God. So Narayan's going personally to the door to greet the guests. And he's got to appease them in some way also. It's very complicated. So these are all his tasks. And, but he's, he's going to do all these things because he's trying to fulfill his desire for virarasa. Hmm? So, anyway, I better proceed along more quickly here with the story. <laughs> you won't hear it all. So, anyway, what he does is he walks there so that they can see his feet. Because if he was up on the Garuda, hovering in the sky, they couldn't get the darshan of his feet. So he walked, so they saw his feet. He met them outside the gate, so they didn't let him in either. Where he honored the Kumaras. But what you did was right. They weren't qualified to get in yet. Mm-hmm. Hmm? So, he comes out. so he comes out outside the gate and greets them. And then what does he do? Through the air, through their nostrils, he goes in, into them, and churns their hearts, and turns them into Baikuntha devotees from Gyanis. He perfects their bhakti in their hearts. And then he says to them, Oh, please forgive me for what I've done, what my people have done. Swanam. In the, these Gyanis, they're very smart, these Kumaras. So they put it together. He's not calling the Kumaras his own people. He says, you're other people. These are my people. My own, what my people have done. Then he's saying, these people are really one with Narayan. He considers them like his own. We're outsiders. By knowledge of God, we're not getting inside. By love of God, you're coming inside. So then they, they understand. Then they begin to make prayers. And they say, yes, we're really the ones at fault, and so forth, and so on. But the Gyanis curse has to be upheld. And then Lakshmi is satisfied. And they cursed, so Narayan gave them a choice, the two gatekeepers, okay? You were cursed to become, have a demonic life, so, or to go to the material world. They were cursed to have to go to the material world. Kumara said, you live in material consciousness, you should be in the material world. Mm-hmm. This is our curse. So Narayan and I gave them the choice. You could take seven births in the material world as my devotees, or three births as demons. You take your choice. I said, we'll take the three births. We get back sooner that way. Hmm? <laughs> and of course, then it's coming within them. And we could facilitate your desire for virarasa, for fighting. So they came. They took three successive births. And the two of them. And one of them, in his first birth, was named Hiranya Kashipu. It means, Hiranya means gold and Kashipu means soft bed. Gold and soft bed. <laughs> Very enjoyable. Hmm? Uh, material life, it means something like that. He was the personification of material life, sense enjoying, Hiranya Kashipu. And so he, uh, his brother, twin brother, Hiranyaksha, the other gatekeeper, 
had been killed by Vishnu Baraha in Baraha Lila. So this Nahiranya Kashipu wanted revenge. So he wanted to take on Vishnu. Of course, that's the Virarasa. So he um, performed austerities and penances and for a long, long time, 10,000 years, it's, a, it's just a number. And Brahma came, creator, sub-creator, came and, and felt intimidated by his austerity and so forth to, to give him a boon, to give him a benediction. So he asked for a benediction. What was his benediction? He said, I want the benediction that I'll never die because I've heard that Vishnu never dies. So if I get in a fight with him, I'm not going to die like my brother. So I want to be on equal footing. And Brahma said, that's just not in my power. Brahma said, I cannot give you eternal life. That's not my position. Vishnu gives that to whom he chooses. And that's just a small thing what he gives. But anyway, I can't give that. So he said, all right, well, look, we do it like this then. You give me this benediction that I will not die at night. Okay. Now that I'm not dying the day. Okay, you won't die in the day. Okay, then I want the benediction I will not be killed by any man or any beast. Okay, not by any man and not by any beast. He said, I want the benediction that I will not die on land or on the sea or in the sky. He said, okay, you got it. Not by any weapon? Okay, you got the benediction. So the whole list of these things. The point being is that we try to beat the system. This is a lesson to be learned, practical lesson. We try to beat the system by being clever. But you cannot evade the long arm of the law. <laughs> and we know it. We also know it. Therefore, this is kind of a common sense. Oh, he'll, it'll catch up with him. That guy, it'll, mm-hmm. it'll catch up with him at some point. And, karma. Mm, karma, yeah. So, more sophisticated uh, explanation of the, the concept. The long arm of the law. So, we try to be clever. We try to beat the system. But you can't beat him, and so... You should join him, they say. If you can't beat him, you should join him. Vishnu can't be beaten. He's unbeatable. He's just tops. So better to join him. This is the idea. So Hiranyakasipu wanted, wanted to... He got all the benedictions. And he thought he had assured himself, at least equal footing with Vishnu. He'd never die. And then, of course, um, he intimidated the whole of material existence, the heavens and everything. The gods and goddesses were intimidated by him and... He ended up ruling over the heavens and, and they were practically, for the most part, they were subordinate. Everyone was subordinated to his tyrannical kind of reign. And uh, he became the, like the center of the universe, very powerful. And so uh, this, um, then he had a son. His son has a history too. Speaks much of bhakti. In his previous life, the son uh, had a desire to meet with a working girl. That's a way of putting it. And so they went out into the forest, and there was an old dilapidated Vishnu temple there. And so the, he was going to have union with her in this hidden place. And so he cleaned the temple floor, it was full of rubbish and things like that, for his purpose. And um, it happened to be a codice, which is a Hardy's day. And it's a day for fasting and staying up all night and, and so forth. So... As it turned out, he ended up getting in an argument with this lady, and they fought all night long. And so they never had the union that he had planned, but he ended up staying in a Vishnu temple up all night and fasting. Hmm? (laughs) This is a powerful brata or vow in bhakti, and the power of it was such that even though he was ill-motivated, I said this before, if you find the right center, that's half of the equation of giving unlimitedly, 
The other side has to come from you in terms of giving without any motivation. But the wonderful thing is, if you find the first, the center first, even though you have motivation, but you give there, then all the motivation, extraneous, separate motivation will go away. And pure motivation will come. Then you have the proper equation. Pure motivation that you can give unlimitedly and an object you can take unlimitedly. And taking, as I said earlier, when one takes love from another, what happens? When I take love from you, what happens? It comes back. Because I say, you do something for me, I love it. I go, I love you. Oh, thank you. You did that for me. Oh. And I'm just like coming out and giving to you. So God is an unlimited taker, but it means he's an unlimited giver also at the same time. So the proper center to give to. So anyway, Prahlad got to take birth in his next life. And this life he was a devotee, but he was born in the family of demons. So he did something wrong, but he did something right. He got a reaction for both. He behaved in the wrong way in the temple, with the wrong intention he entered the temple. But he got, got a pretty horrendous birth in one sense, the son of the, big, the biggest demon in the universe. But Bhakti was carried with him to the extent that the Rishi Narada, sage Narada, came. And the plight of the universe was so great that the gods thought, oh my God, they thought, this guy is just a reign of terror and his wife is pregnant now. So if her, she, his son is born, what's that going to be like? It's going to go on. <laughs> He's going to inherit the whole thing. And so they wanted to abort the child. The gods wanted to abort the child. What to think of that? So they kidnapped the wife and Nard came to the scene and preached the Bhagwat, spoke the Bhagwat to the wife, ostensibly, but with the intention of sending his will to the son, the child within the womb. And the will of that Vaishnava was so powerful that by the time Prahlad was born, which he was, then he was a devotee from birth, practically. So this was very odd for the for the Haranyakasipu to find that his son was a great devotee of his his avowed enemy, Vishnu. And so he sent, but he didn't know it, he sent the son to school to, to learn. And when the teachers gave recess, Prahlad stood up and taught, Komara Macharit Pragnam Dharmam Bhagavatam Bhagavad. He told, told the students, don't waste your lives. You're only four or five years old. It was like preschool. He was only five years old, Komara. And he said, don't waste your lives. He's telling them, you know, we're talking to 30, 40-year-old, 50-year-old people here in this room. And I'm saying, don't waste your life. This boy's saying to preschoolers, don't waste your human life. It's very valuable. Hmm? In playing like this. Don't waste your life in this time. You've got a human life. It's very about Now use it properly by taking advantage of sadhusanga, engaging in Vishnu Bhakti. You can perfect yourself by this, he said. So he was preaching in the school, so the teachers were like, what's with this guy? He's the son of the Saranyaka Sipu, and he's teaching Vishnu Bhakti, and so they didn't know what to do about it. And Meanwhile, the son comes home, and the father sits him on his lap and says, so, Prahlad, tell me, what is the best thing you learn in school? He says, well, the best thing I learn in school, he says, Shravanam, Kirtanam, Vishnu, Smaranam, Parasevanam, Arjanam, Vandanam, Dasyam, Sakya, Matmani, Vedanam. Iti pum sarpito vishnu bhaktis chenna balakshna kriyeti bhagavati radha tanmanye titam uttamam. This is uttamam, the best thing I've learned. 
to hear and chant about, remember, meditate upon, serve the lotus feet of, and so on, of Vishnu, Nabalakshan Bhakti. This Prahlad has given the nine principal limbs of Bhakti by which Bhakti is expressed. And if you study those limbs, you find many things, many activities are included within them. It's a very prominent manifestation of the kind of school of Bhakti, the teaching of Bhakti through Prahlad. This Prahlad is very extraordinary in the whole of the you know, stellar lineup of, of great devotees. We like to talk about Radha and so forth, and it's true, the highest bhakti is found in her. But Prahlad has been singled out also by Bhagavan as the best example in this world of bhakti to look to if we are to make progress. What he represented, in particular at that, at that time, his nishta, as I said the other day, this is a, go to this place. His selflessness, go there. And from there, this cultivation of praying will become natural and easy and you'll progress and so forth. So very, very important person. Of course, when he heard this, the father was very upset. And so then he complained to the teachers. The teacher says, we didn't teach him that. And he couldn't figure out where he got it from. Of course, he got it from Nard when he was in the womb and he could understand that. So Prahlad had respect for Narda. Meanwhile, father couldn't quite figure it out, but he could see it wasn't going anywhere. He wasn't getting anywhere in terms of converting his son. So... He tried to change his opinion and by demonic logic and so forth, and that wasn't working, so then he, he began to uh, torture him. So put him in the fire, fed him poison, put him in a pit of snakes. So many things are there described. Uh, each one has meaning and so forth. I, we don't have time to go into it all here. We're talking for too long about it. But the point being, anyway, he was tortured and his, his bhakti was tested. He never budged an inch from that. Not only did he, it was his tolerance unlimited, it extended into the into form of compassion. As I said the other night, this is what Mahaprabhu taught when he said, Tarar api sahishtuna. So the tree is an example of tolerance. If you go to chop it down, it just tolerates. It doesn't say anything. It gives you warmth from the cold. It gives you shade even when you're chopping it down. It doesn't complain. So tolerance should reach the point of compassion. And we see that in Prahlad because he had compassion for his father big demon, punishing him, and he was chanting Krishna Nam, remembering Krishna, and torturing him, and nothing could break his bhakti, nothing could harm him for that matter. So this Hranikasipu said, okay, so you talk about Vishnu, so where is he? Basic atheistic argument. I can't see him. You know, where is he? And Prahlad said, Bahirnasringho, Shridhahirnasringho. Where is he not? <laughs> Two different worlds. We live in two different worlds. We're standing here. Two different worlds. You can't see him anywhere. I cannot see where he is not. So this atheistic father wanted to become practical. Okay, let's stop with the philosophy, okay? He's everywhere. Right, right. Is he in this pillar, stone pillar, holding up the roof? Is he, is he in there? And Prabhupada said, matter of fact, he is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This is part of the, the lesson of the Bhagavad, that God's all pervasive. You don't have to go anywhere. He's everywhere. You have to change your way of thinking, angle of vision and so forth. So much to be said about that, all these things. Forgive me, I'm just kind of going through it quickly. But anyway, so he said, is he in the pillar? Yeah, he's in the pillar. So Hiranyakasipu, typical atheist, says, okay, so let's see who's in the pillar, okay? We just break that pillar, then what? We just break, we just smash that pillar. So much for your philosophy. You've got some magic behind you, okay? That's fine, but I don't buy your philosophy. I don't see God. You can see him, I can't see him. He's in the pillar? Okay, we break the pillar. Now what? 
So he broke the pillar, and then what? The Shrimadev came out of the pillar. So the idea being, he is actually everywhere. He is in every atom, and, and the right person can draw him out. The bhakti of Prahlad drew him out. It's not that Haranyakasipu drew him out. The bhakti of Prahlad drew him out. The way in which Haranyakasipu was dealing with his son caused the bhakti in Bhagwan for his devotee to come out. And how did it come out? In rage. Such anger. And how did he appear? Came out of the pillar, roaring like a lion. Head of a lion, body of a man. He wasn't an animal, a beast, neither a human. Combination of two. Who could have thought of that? Hmm? <laughs> He's very clever. <laughs> More clever than us. This is the idea. And he grabbed that Haranikasipu and put him on his lap. He means he took him out of the sky, took him off the land. Neither was he in water. He was on the lap of a half man, half lion. What time did he come? He didn't come at day. He didn't come at night. He came at dusk. Oh, I could have thought of that. You said, no. <laughs> I didn't think of that. <laughs> He's very clever. He came at dusk. That's why we're fasting till dusk. Just a few minutes more. Here. That's the idea. Because we celebrated the time of his appearance. So He came at dusk. And he killed that fellow. And how? Not with any weapons. With his fingernails. It's just like he got a manicure or something like that. He's... <laughs> He tore him apart. Then he, then he garlanded himself with his intestines. Sounds grotesque. You can see them as it's depicted in art. But what that personifies is all, you know, unwanted things. So he destroys all unwanted things. So he killed him. And he was roaring like a lion. And it was like all the gods and goddesses were just really freaked out and intimidated by it. They had never seen such a thing. It's good that God's here to save the day, but... Man, is he mad. <laughs> and what to do about that? How to pacify him? And Brahma was, a, was a, hey, not me. <laughs> I caused this problem. I gave that demon a benediction and this whole thing happened. And Oh, my God. What to say? He tried. He offered some feeble prayers. And this one prayed and that one prayed. And Lakshmi, you'd think, his wife, could have pacified him. But she'd never seen such, a, such an angry mood. And so she just like, I'm staying out of this. Hmm? <laughs> she was just afraid to come. Meanwhile, Brahma was pretty smart. He has four heads, so he was pretty intelligent. He thinks things out real clearly. He looks in all directions and researches the matter. So he thought, let's put this Prahlad forward. Every demigod and goddess, some representative of each group, offered prayers. Nothing could satisfy this Nishringa. Nothing could calm his anger. Nothing. It means also that all of their prayers had some motivation in them. The gods and goddesses, are, they're all bought and paid for, like every politician. They're all bought and paid for. They got their position as controllers in the heavens over the material elements by conducting themselves in a particular way. They made a business deal with God. They acted piously to get a better material situation. They became controllers and residents of heaven and so forth. They bought and paid for. Their love for Bhagwan is not unalloyed. So the prayers that they could voice couldn't satisfy Narayan. Not a singha. They couldn't pacify him. They couldn't quiet his anger. So if you really want to quell the wrath of God, we feel like the world's working against me. God's against me. I'm not getting that job I wanted, or you know, I'm not. What's happening? If you want this, what appears to be the wrath of God, if you want to quiet that and get God, the environment, to deal friendly with you, you have to deal friendly 
with the environment. You have to be giver, you have to give and not be on the take. This is the idea. So Brahma was smart enough to know this boy, he's only a child, we're big demigods. No material qualification it means. You're just a child, infant, just a kumar, he's a youth, uh, not even a youth, a child, five years old. This boy is pure. He can satisfy. So he pushed. Prahlad, maybe you can go there and say something to him. So Prahlad came up, offered his pranam, and Shingadev took one look at him. Tears rained from his eyes. He reached out and put his head, his hand, the hand that had been the death to Hiranyakashipu, was like, like a soft lotus flower on the head of Prahlad, blessing him. He grabbed him like a cat, you know, kid, licked him. But his own <laughs> affection. He showed affection. He was completely transformed into a kitten, is the point. <laughs> he was a ferocious lion. He turned into a kitten. There's the power of Prahlad's love, the power to influence Bhagwan. So the gods saw this and they were amazed. And then Bhagwan the Shringa said, I bless you, Prahlad. What do you want? So his bhakti had been tested by his father, who tried to stop it, to break it. First he did with reasoning and some demonic atheistic philosophy, and then by force. Nothing could budge him. He was fixed, nishta, fixed. Couldn't be budged from that position. So from that side, the negative side, nothing could budge him. Now he's got a really extraordinary situation. Bhagawan is going to test him personally to see how selfless he is. So he says, you're a nice day. You know, let's check it out. And of course, he wants to showcase. He knows, but he wants to showcase is what he's doing. He knows what Prahlad's position is. That's why he was pacified. But he wants to showcase it to the, all the gods and goddesses and teach the whole world what it takes to get a visa to enter that plane. Those Kumars, they had a passport. They had no visa yet. Prahlad had the visa. He had the visa, and he didn't even want to use it. For him, there was no difference being in the material world or being in the spiritual world. It's all a question of consciousness. He had no, no interest. So Bhagavan said to him, take something from me. He said, no, I don't want anything. But no, that's my business. I, that's what I do. I come here, I bless people. Pretty much that's what it's all about. That's at least what most people think. He said, <laughs> he said like all these gods and goddesses and everybody else. So he says, um, take something. He said, no, no, I don't want anything. And I have no desire. I know you don't have any desire, but still you should take it. He argues with him and goes on and makes it very difficult. He just doesn't let up. You can read it in Bhagavatam. The Shingon just doesn't let up. He keeps going after him. You come to Baikunta. No, I don't want to. It's just, I'm fine here. Hmm? He said, this is the implication when he says, he says, I don't want anything life after life. Even if I have to stay here for life after life, it, it doesn't bother me. Birth after birth after birth. I'm satisfied. Just, just serving you. That's all. I just want to serve you. That's all. That means to have no desire. So he tested him again and again and again. And he also showed something very interesting. Sometimes people make, a, make an argument now. If the Guru is a Nitya Siddha, he's an eternally liberated person who comes from that side to this side, then inherently he must be better and more worthy of listening to than one who is a Sadhana Siddha who comes from this side and perfects himself or herself by Sadhana. This Leela tells us exactly the opposite, actually. Sanatana Goswami analyzing it in Brigadha Bhagavatam, just says, and see the position of Prahlad. His bhakti was tested. Nityasiddha is there never tested. He passed the test. Even Narad couldn't pacify Mishringa. But Prahlad could. 
So, I won't go into it in any more detail, but the Lila also showcases the perfection by sadhana, how glorious it is, how instructive it is to all of us and so forth as well. And so, ultimately, then he insisted. He said, okay, fine, you don't want anything, but I'm giving you something anyway. I'm giving you a kingdom in this world and I want you to rule over it. That's what I want you to do. You say you don't want to leave the world, you know, you're fine with that, so stay here and rule over it. And so he accepted the order of Nishinga with a motive to rule in such a way as to give bhakti to other people and so forth. So in this way, this is something about the story. I'm sorry, it's so much more to it than what we've talked about, but we've run out of time. So we'll stop there. See Nisinga Chaturasi Mahamotsabhiti ki jai. Gaur Bhaktabindaki jai. Gaur Premanande.